Welcome to my second episode of Closer With Simone Marie. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week, my guest is guitar legend Johnny Marr. I caught up with Johnny at the beginning of May to have a chat about his early influences, his creative process, what he's been getting up to in lockdown, and some of his favourite bands at the moment. Since we recorded this, we sadly lost Florian Schneider of Kraftwerk, and I wanted to make a note of that because we do mention Kraftwerk towards the end. But please enjoy this. And don't forget to hit subscribe for all future episodes. Hi, this is Johnny Marr. You're listening to Simone Marie. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Johnny freaking Marr. Hello. Morning. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. I say freaking because there might be some younger listeners. That's all right. Board, uh, you know, well, you want to be responsible. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the only boy wearing eyeliner on the football pitch. I just remember that. Yeah. Book. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, yeah, I've never really caught on that. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it, really? I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, the last time I saw you was at um, the AIM Awards, I think, at the Roundhouse. Um, yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird one. Yeah, did you have a good one that night? It was a, it was a weird night. Oh, we played. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing. Mm. That was pretty good. But it was very sedate. It was, uh, mm. you know, it was, it was it was really nice to be honoured, and that was great. We did you give someone an award? I did hand out an award. Yeah, for like most radio plays of an independently released artist. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you get yeah get your work in. Get me work. Yeah. <laughs> to earn my meal that night. Yeah. Yeah, but um, well, it was weird because um, yeah, as I say it was really nice to be honoured, but uh, and that, that's great. Uh, but you know, I sort of uh, um, I found that when I sort of got my uh, when I got my award and I did my speech, uh, <laughs> yeah, I sort of uh, I, I kind of. I sort of had to adapt it a little bit because I had to almost sort of felt like I had to explain, like back in the Stone Age, this is how this is what indie rock was. I don't know. I just got a little. It, it felt a little more corporate than I was expecting it, mm-hmm. and I think that's just maybe the times and maybe me. You know, I don't put anything down, but you know, and then I don't know. I remember when I when I went out to play, I was a little bit like, wow, everyone's gone on to watch Netflix. Fans were there, mm. and fans fans of music, but it was a lot of people. I felt, you know. I'll, you know, I'll say it. I'll go there. I found there was a lot of people at that award ceremony who were part of indie music, mm. who uh, sort of when an actual indie musician was playing, yeah, went on, went on to watch Netflix. So uh, there, you, there you go. But uh, you know, I did say it to the faces. So I thought it was but, a great speech. Uh, I saw some. I saw, oh, thanks. Well, I tried to be uh, positive. Yeah, there's no denying that you came up through the roots of the major labels versus the kind of newer independent thing like it was a novelty i don't know i think i'm very uh, i'm sort of aware and i guess quite proud i think what it was look i was getting an award for the sort of indie icon thing and and it yeah. made me it, it made me kind of double down and really consider what why i was getting that and what where i came from and mm. the, the so i was remembering that the indie scene as it was, because it was really pretty much early days when the Smiths came out of there, and there was myself, you know, as a band, obviously, Billy Bragg, and uh, loads of bands, whether it was, you know, Fell or the early Primals and the Factory stuff, and all of that real nice kind of indie scene. Um, it stood for, it really stood for quite a lot, and there was a lot of bands, I mean, certainly the Smiths were, that um, 
but it wasn't. We weren't on an indie label because we couldn't get a major deal. Of course, we were on an indie label because it was a, it was a different culture. It it was it, it, it stood for many many different things. I mean, the case of me, uh, you know, what we dismissed we, we before we, we put one single out on Rough Trade, and we were really courted uh, by. We got offered deals by all the majors, and we almost for a laugh really to check it out for novelty. We went to. CBS as it was then, uh, before, before it was Sony, and, and we went to EMI, and we went to Warner Brothers, and we went to Virgin. And uh, the thing that I re- always remember very clearly was that um, uh, the, I never saw any records in there. Uh, we went in these very, very uh, well-appointed uh uh, reception areas, which Rough Trade definitely didn't have. Rough Trade was like almost like going in the late in through the loading bay, really. And uh, you know, uh, which I literally did the first time I got a deal there. But we, um, but when we were being courted by the majors, you'd walk in this really posh uh, reception area with these huge, big posters, framed posters of, of these mm. established artists. You know, whatever, fair, fair play, um, but. Mm-hmm. I'm going and it was, uh, I just never saw any records. And that was almost quite a naive thing, really. Well, why, you know, I tell you what, because I was a bit stupid, probably, and a bit naive, it didn't occur to me that they had warehouses with thousands and thousands of, <laughs> of Bruce Springsteen records. And, you uh, can imagine that they all just come out of a, a label, though, don't you? You just think it's just all one big building. It doesn't really occur to you, like, that whole system of distribution and sales and marketing like well, like it was you know well i tell you well what it was was that rough trade which we put one single out was actually was like that though that was like you'd go in there and you were tripping over boxes of al- albums by the rain parade or the f- yeah. ball or whatever which mm-hmm. a lot of those boxes i have to confess ended up in my attic um, I was just assisting Nick loads of records from there. Perks so I was job. looking around going, God, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be, I don't really want to Nick, uh, this living in a box album. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so come on, you still got it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I nicked a few Madonna ones from Warner Brothers, but hence, uh, so anyway, so that was what, what the indie rock scene was really. That's so my point was my point. Oh yeah. We, we, you know, it was a very deliberate, uh, and very uh, excited and enthusiastic decision for us to sign to Rough Trade. That was that's we wanted to be around people who had the same yeah. kind of politics and like the same kind of music, and were putting out kind of weird, you know, odd singles. Monochrome set had been on there, and um, uh-huh. you know, uh, there was a load of bands that were like that that had been on there. So that, that's what you do when you're young. You kind of gravitate to um, you gravitate to you know, the people you like and the bands that you revere and all of that kind of stuff. So anyway, that, the Andy Awards, uh, it's changed a lot. That's the thing. I probably should just show my age now, really. No, I mean, you have this, like, you know, not, not brown-nosing you, but you have such a richness of, uh, you know, experience because you were you were so young when, when you started, you know, out in bands and, like, when you made it with the, the Smiths, you were... Um, yeah. What was the other band you did before the Smiths? Uh, uh, I, had a, I had a load of bands, but the Smiths were the first band I, I made a record with. Yeah. I was in this band called Sister Ray. That's it, uh, Sister Ray. When you were like the the kids with all the adults. Yeah, they were. Uh, that was. Do you know what? That was wild. That really. 
Um, at, at the time, I was kind of aware that it was a bit wired. I was, I found a newspaper cutting that, um, or someone sent me one online. I saw a JPEG of a newspaper cutting. I had to check, and I was, I was actually fourteen when I was in that group, which is bananas because they were all like, in the in well, they were in probably in the mid twenties. They seemed to be ancient, but they were they were real. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny when you're a kid, you think anyone over the age of twenty oh. is like past it or oh, ancient, so old yeah. you know? but, but, <laughs> yeah. they, but not only were they adults but um even even within the sort of the, the kind of sort of punk of rock scene in, in manchester they were kind of revered as very they were they were like geezers you avoided really um yeah yeah bad, boys. bad men so um anyway i remember like uh you know, one sunny afternoon, I was like me and the singer, I, I, we were hanging out and we were, we were showing you some songs and stuff. And he, um, he, we were having a walk around and um, he introduced me to some chemicals and we were walking around and I said, oh, that's where I live. He said, oh, right, come on, let's go on your house and have a cup of tea. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, my mum's off work. Uh-huh. My mum's out at work. But anyway, she wasn't. So I just turned up with the singer, this new, oh, this is Clive, who's the singer in this new band that I'm in, mum. And uh, that yeah. didn't go down very well at all. <laughs> First, it was like, why, why, why aren't you in school again? <laughs> and, then, and then it was like, who is this reprobate adult who, who I can tell is like, who's, who's like really like pretty much uh, living on the street out of choice? And um, and uh, yeah. so you joined that band, haven't you? You joined that band, so they weren't. You've done it. You've done it. That's it. You've sealed the deal. Like, did it take your folks a, a while to come round to to you, basically? You know, going into the world of rock and roll. Or well, were they just they just saw it and thought, hey, let's then go with it. It's what it was. It's a bit half and half because they um, they really love music. Uh, to this day, they're obsessive yeah. with, with music and. Um, yeah, they love so it, and um, so they love the idea of me being a musician. But actually, the reality of it, as in like turning up with like you know, sort of you know, drug dealing lead singers, and when it actually, I don't know what kind of musician he actually thought I was going to be. But when <laughs> they like the idea of me being a musician, but the kind of musician that I was at sixteen or whatever, <laughs> um, and uh, at that age, I mean, I took it so so seriously, and. Because of that, it meant yeah, um, everything took a back seat. So school, um, you know, I, mean, I was bright enough and, and stuff I was interested in, I, I sort of, you know, I enjoyed. But, but um, mm. you know what, the reality is that um, really from being like 14, I was, I was sort of living my apprenticeship mm. really because a lot of my friends were in bands and they were older and I was sort of just, I thought, well, okay, that's what I do really. You know, get a, get a Saturday job and mm. jump on the train, go to London. And I'd done a... Mm. I'd done a, one of my mates had sent a cassette of, um, of my, one of my bands I was in called White Dice to, um, to Nick Lowe's manager, to Elvis Costello, Nick Lowe's manager at Stiff, and he invited us down to uh, Nick Lowe's house to do a demo, which was like, oh my God. Uh, and that, yeah. that was great. It was an amazing thing yeah. for me, but it, it wasn't really great for my kind of school career in my sort of, boy, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that. So, I took, uh, you know, my, I, I just thought I was in, and, and I was, my, my life was a, I was, in, I was aware that I was, uh, that I was too young to actually be, you know, making a living, proper living out of it. But, um, 
mm. but it was all an apprenticeship. Uh, I just love how you've had this like really gone ho attitude from a really young age, like maybe not intentionally, but just been really passionate about one thing and gone, I'm going. Yeah. You know, it's quite, it's quite young to be so kind of like bloody minded about something. Yeah, in well, a really I was definitely way. bloody minded and I was definitely focused, but, um, you know, over the years, I learned books and stuff like that. I don't know, there's a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of, um, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff about me being ambitious. Now, yeah, you know, I was ambitious, but um, a lot of it was, was, to be fair, a lot of it was desperation, really. Right. Because I, I loved, you know, I loved music so much. So saying whatever, 78, 79, I remember Iggy's New Values coming out. I was such a big Iggy fan. And that was a, a new album had come out. And um, it was the first one after The Idiot. And... Um, or Lust for Life. I'm like, what's all it? Yeah, it was the idiot Lust for Life. Yeah, it was the first one after Lust for Life. So anyway, the day it came out, so I was like, you know, I went to the record shop in the afternoon and uh, I got it and um, I'll say we're the only ones album because they were really like, I was obsessed with the only ones and all of that. So that was all in my head and it was just the magic of all of that. And trying to, as soon as I got the record, I was trying to like learn the riffs and I'd be just completely consumed with it. And, but when I say I was desperate, it wasn't like I had a horrible, horrible home life or a terrible childhood, but I was desperate to, to get into that, for it to be my life. And the idea of it not happening or me not, not being good enough or not getting in a working band was just, too, I just couldn't conceive of it. Right. I just couldn't really imagine a life of not being a musician, really. Because um, I'd sort of almost, in a way, I had the passion for it, but it was like... Um, you know, it's like it, it was like I've been studying it really. Mm. You know, from the glam rock records onwards, because uh, and the culture, I just sort of, I just felt like the life of a musician and all everything about it was was, uh, uh, you know, the life for me, and and you know, it felt like ninety percent mm. attainable if if I if I applied myself and had ten percent a big ten percent dollop of luck. You know. Do you remember a specific moment where you thought, I've got to do this? Like, was there like a turning point or was it just a kind of graduation of like seeing little bits of Bowie and Bolan and, and you, do you know, know what? It was actually, no, do you know what? It was at a very, it was very young. There was, if I have to think about a very, uh, an actual specific moment, it was, uh, it was, a, I would have been about eight or nine. And which is when I started playing, and that's uh, what when I start, I sort of I worked out that's when I wrote my first song, and um, you know, I'd I'd um, my family being a large extended Irish family, a lot of people in it. They weren't large people. Well, some of them were large, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it sounds weird. A large Irish family. I want, I want measurement sizes, all of it. Well, they were large, but, uh, but they, um, you know, because there was a lot of us. There was a lot of christenings and, and weddings and stuff like that. And um, anyway, we there was a, a this this sort of Irish show band um, used to always play at. My auntie knew them, and they they used to rock up and set up, and they used to always, we used to have the parties in this. In, in like a function room above a pub in Longsight in Man Manchester. And there's a stage there and some little lights and stuff like that. And everyone would be, you know, you'd have the you'd have the wedding or whatever during the day or the christening during the day. And then as quick as possible, everyone would 
dart to this to this pub and all of us would take the pub was ours for the day all of us would take over the pub and then everyone everyone would start going for it and um and i would uh i i would watch out for the band arriving and setting up their gear and they'd go up the stairs and i used to follow them upstairs and i've been i'd be in this empty room this happened a few times and um i'd be watching them setting up the gear and that i was i couldn't wait for it and um and uh, i watched these men set up their equipment and the second or third time that they played it the, it occurred to me that it was a job because it, i'd seen them do it before it's like oh here they are i forgot the name of them now and um and um I was like, oh, well, they, this this must be what these guys do regularly, and and I, I put it to I put two and two together that it was a job, uh, or or it was a you know a, a, a yeah um, employment or whatever, and I thought, well, why would you do anything else then? Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. If you can make <laughs> your like dream, if you can make money out of doing something you absolutely love, like why should that be impossible? Why should you settle for less? Yeah, and I think when you're really young and you're sort of so straightforward about things, and it's before, you know, you have the absence of doubt. You don't, you don't have self-doubt. Then you don't have, you know, you're not, you're not, you don't have, you know, insecurities that maybe come into or neurosis that can come into your life later, or, or you, you know, you don't. And luckily for me, you know, you were, you're not in an environment that says you can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, that happened a little late. That happened a little late with my parents, and I understand why they did that because that's just out of fear, you know, when. When I'm not going to school and I'm, you know, saying, well, you know, sod this, I'm, you know, next week I'm, I'm going to London and going to make a record at Nick Lowe's and all of that. You know, as a parent, you know, I look back now and think, well, my parents sort of, they just thought, look, don't, they didn't want me to build my hopes up or be, you know, or be, or oh. be skint, really. Uh, but, yeah. I think that's it, isn't it? They want you to, like any parent wants their kid to be financially secure. And especially if they know that they maybe can't keep supporting you for your entire life and they shouldn't. But, you know, it is kind of every parent's one of the boxes that they want to tick is that for, you know, for the kid to kind of be able to yeah. pay the way. And, and I think they also, you know, they, they weren't stupid. They knew that by that time in my teenage years that the other side of me, of, you know, I was taking it so seriously that, the, you know, there was a side to it which was, pretty uh wild really that i was sort of i was i was into yeah. that as well you know i was into like you know say sagging off school and you know uh experimenting mm. with all kinds of stuff you know and 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 um so that side of it came into it i think if they thought i was just going to sit in my room with an acoustic uh and and, <laughs> and write these very introspective songs and and post them on instagram i think they would have been all for that <laughs> The problem was that I was. They thought you were going to be Nick Drake the second or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, sitting in a park, like, you know, knocking out these songs to get a million views on Instagram with me acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because you started at a time when none of the things that are available to, to, to musicians now or even sort of 10 years ago, all the social media stuff and how people are actually allowed to or able to like, create their own sense of like uh fans and following and, yeah. and like identity and design and there's no need for a, a record label up to a certain point whereas i guess you know when you were starting out you depend on the record label for all of that in a way yeah well you know it's a mixed blessing like a lot of things in life you know with the, you know good and bad because uh obviously in principle 
uh, the democratization of music and it being available for everybody is you know it's yeah. it's fantastic and that's kind of you know politically that's the sort of person i am and and it, it's it's a nice thing um um you know and you know i remember as i say you know being, being young I, I had i the facilities to uh to put finished songs together and post them out into the public uh that, that would yeah. have been amazing but that one thing that inevitably you know it's not all roses because um one of the things that um was a function of record companies and and to an extent radio stations and um all kinds of outlets was was uh curation so you know in in the pop in Mm -hmm. rock music culture where you have, have all of these figures whether it's Alan Freed Jeff Travis at Rough Trade, Tony Wilson, uh, Seymour Stein, John mm. John Peel, uh, you know Annie Nightingale, um, real figureheads, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, even the corporate, the side of the of, of the music music world, uh, people like Mo Austin, people, you know, um, uh, right up to the you know the really sort of mainstream people like Clive Davis, who you know, um, th- these people. You know that they they, they, uh, they were around for thirty forty years, and they whether they found the, the Van Morrison's or whether they found you know the Mariah Carey's or the Aretha Franklin's or the Dusty Springfield's or or the Fall or whoever. What my point is is like just having this open ocean of 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 uh, available music. On the one hand, as a as a music fan for me, it's like you know it's heaven, it's Nirvana. But on the other on the other side of it, those figures I've mentioned, and there's many more of them, uh, who essentially yeah. were in a cura- curational curatorial. Anyway, they were curators. Uh, say John Peel. Yeah. Uh, you know, people who they they funnel their tastes and. Um, you know their aesthetic and collate it and then send it out to everybody that those that's a very important and useful uh uh situation really arrangement it's like an institution wasn't he i mean people trusted him i think it's got a lot to do with trust you trust your radio presenters you, you trust your i mean yeah. like now you could compare it to going out uh to see a dj you you hand over like your evening to that dj you trust them and you you trust a band to be brilliant on a night it's like it's a kind of exchange isn't it yeah it's it's great you've got someone who's got their kind of worldview and their aesthetic and you know all those people i mentioned i think had that you know if you know what little i know about atlantic records the um ergen you know found whether you know whether he was finding all the soul bands in the 60s or led zeppelin or whoever it is you came care and name you know it's not a coincidence that all these amazing artists or important artists anyway we're all you know they're all discovered by these people and, and more importantly they were they were nurtured and supported financially and and otherwise by all of these figures who um you know a good example of it is rob gretton with with uh, joy division in yeah. new order uh you know they or, or brian epstein with the beatles or andrew Alden with the stones or yeah, all of these kind of people they they're you know they they are like the fifth member of the band and they see something in the collective of the band that maybe the band don't quite see in themselves. So, so anyway, we, we're missing. There's that in between person. 
now. You're so right. Uh, I didn't really think of that in that context before, but you read like kind of hit the nail on the head, really. Yeah, or you know, Jeanette Leah, Rough Trade. Now, you know, I mean, like the they they kind of when you uh, also for the bands as well, not just for music fans. When you're when you're young and you're starting out, uh, you, you need not only people to help you out who've, who've got some experience but that support that kind of support to say no listen you know you're doing the right thing and, totally you know, a bit of mentoring encouragement yeah, because you can right. be so racked full of self-doubt if you don't get you know x amount of success by a certain time and and it's i think it's easy to get disheartened you know and um i kind of feel the role of independence a bit more now is that it although it doesn't totally fill that gap of like the creator role that, that you spoke about it's like yeah. like he, the head of the the independent will will hand pick artists that they love and they want to develop and they really want to put their time into because it's it's a bit more of a grassroots thing rather than just looking at an act or a band and going ka-ching you know oh no that, exactly that, yeah. no yeah exactly they're, they're into it for more more of a kind of this there's there's um it, it, it's it's always a bit more pure when it's not all about the dough for sure for sure i mean yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i think when i was when we to get back to actually to uh, uh, well, where we started with that aim awards thing when i was you know what i wanted to put across there was was this very thing about what a decent job how important it is this this thing you've actually brought up there this this mentoring and supportive position is with new groups and what really what a great job everybody is of, of doing it so on the one hand i was like wow what's happened to indie music but on the other hand uh there are still I and mean, if you take a band like you know fontaine's dc or whatever you know there's they've really got an indie spirit you know i think uh they they, they don't sound really polished and you know they, they they definitely don't sound like a band who has is are being told what to do by a mogul yeah uh, another band I, that i like are life do you know them yeah, I, I, I just someone. Have you seen them live? Yeah, we've done a couple of shows with them, and um, they've got a new album out, which is brilliant. And and they just really are music fans. You know, there's nothing pretentious about them. Um, I've interviewed them as well, and they're just such lovely people, and it all kind of makes sense, you know. And um, I just think I don't agree with the whole thing of like people saying there's no good music around anymore. I've, I've, I've never agreed with it. I just think you're not looking hard enough, you know. And, oh, that's a nonsense. Um, they're, no. well, they're not by any means on the underground scene, so to speak. But, you know, because so many people know about them now. But I do love this new influx of, of these kind of bands, you know. Well, one of the things about, you know, when, when you've been around a long time, <laughs> man and boy. like <laughs> Man and boy. Yeah. Uh, well, you have uh, been. Yeah, yeah. So when you've been around a long time, um, you know, so 80s, when we came out, when I first started with the Smiths, 83, uh, I was asked back then, you know, well, because you guys, you know, are um, the, the antidote to, say, I think at the time it was say, OMD and Soft Cell and Wham, and you guys are returned to the uh to the roots of like rock with guitar you're a guitar band is guitar music it's guitar music dead so i was i heard that in eight in 83 and then around the time of the rave scene 86 87 uh that was a question that i'd be asked um you know is guitar you know is this the end of guitar music and then i remember the early 90s when there was kind of like uh, a lot of really great uh east coast hip-hop 
uh, it was like, is it the end of guitar music? And then I've been asked that question for 30 <laughs> years and I've always just said, I don't... Maybe never the end of guitar music. I was like, I think you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like, what did you think of the whole rave scene when that came up? Because oh, clearly it. you were always playing rock and roll. And oh, I loved it. Let's say again, guitar music. No, I, I, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. The early, the early, I guess before it was called, kind of called Raven. I, I suppose really, as I remember it, eight, uh, late eighty-seven, early eight, eighty-eight, eighty-nine yeah. was the real peak year, I think. But uh, it was. It started off, I think, it was House. I think it was called House pretty early on because the Chicago thing. But but it was it was House, and then yeah. it was Acid. You know, and I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I. I thought it was great, and you know, I, I formed Electronic with Bernard Sumner and Neil Tennant at that time, and it was amazing. It was because I, for me, it was amazing because I was 24. The Smiths had split up, and 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 that was very dark. The Smiths split up in the in the in the UK and US music press, um, which was a little bit like a mirror into. Unfortunately, was was I was kind of obsessed with my life and the other members of the band's life and the whole because the, the press. The press love a big. They love a fight. They love a They love a fallout, and it was really encouraged a lot as well by uh, people. A lot of other people sure. that were involved with the Smiths uh, in and out of the band. So that was. That's tough to cope with, isn't it? I mean, that's just like it just becomes. Everyone gets involved. I suppose it's just nothing to do with. It was horrible. In the end, it? it was horrible, and being so young as well. So it's, it was. It was a tough time, but it was weird because, on the other hand. Um, that I, so I get up in the morning thinking, oh man, you know what, you know what is it today? But then on the other hand, um, Bernard Sumner would be would have been up all night working on a track in my basement uh, for us for me to play guitar on and work on, and and it, the sun was shining outside and 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 people were starting a this. You know, in, right in Manchester, as everyone knows, this sort of revolution of thought and design and drugs and and fashion and thinking it was was absolutely starting to bubble. So it was an amazing. It was an amazing time, and uh, that exploded right in my hometown. And I was only twenty four, so I'm not talking just about you know everyone wearing flares and all of that. But there was a real sort of break, a breakout, and a breakaway from. Uh, just from regular sort of rock and roll thinking so that so on that in that respect the timing was pretty good for me and um and I, more importantly i really loved the music because there was a sort of psychedelic aspect to it and there was a diy aspect to it and and it just felt really modern so me as a young man at 24 always loving music on the one hand i was going through this very intense drama that was very public but the reality is thank god you know because my life was a as a real music fan and music obsessive always led me. So that was the predominant emotional thing for me. There's, oh my God, have you heard this? Have you heard this? I'll check out this 3L3 drum machine and how can I, how can I integrate guitars into this music and, and working with Bernard, you know, if you're going to, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy to have in your corner, you know, and at that time he, he was, he was really inspired and the whole thing with the Hacienda. So it was an amazing, it was a really amazing time because um, for all the reasons I've said, but also um, there was a psychedelic 
aspect, and I'm not just talking about mm. ecstasy, but there was a psychedelic aspect to the early rave scene before it just got too too messy. Yeah, it was beautiful, wasn't it? I suppose everyone was having the shared euphoria at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and, and, and obviously, you know, MDMA is such a big part of that. And But, but at the same time, it was futuristic because there was the explosion of the digital age, you know, Mac computer, everyone was sort of like getting the first SE30 Macs and, mm-hmm. or, 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 or on Ataris mm-hmm. and people were starting to design their own stuff. And, yeah. and um, yeah. so you had this, so usually when people think of psychedelia, they think of the 60s and oil wheels and people skipping yeah, around, you know, in, yeah. in, 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 in you know, at Hyde Park or in San Francisco. But yeah. well, this was a combination of futurism because of the explosion in the technology, which was making all of these new sounds and new designs and flyers and, and record covers mm-hmm. and everything available to to all of these people in all these you know all the provinces as well and um, and uh, psychedelia and futurism so it was a amazing combination. Yeah, and so you were. Uh, I mean, it's so young. You were twenty four. Yeah. When you did electronic, I didn't. I mean, of course you were that young, but I. It's now by like just just from where we both are now, it just feels like God, like. I'm so amazed that you were doing that when you were 24 because, I mean, yeah. you know, that band was so great. I mean, was it the first time you kind of started working with electronic elements of music with Bernard? Uh, I'd been... I, I, on the last the last album of the Smiths, I sort of went into... I'd, I'd um, Before Strange Ways, I'd hired uh, um, an emulator to keyboard because I got I got really back into low David Bowie. I always oh, yeah. whatever whatever idea I got, if an idea sort of um, catches fire with me, mm. there's no there's no putting it out. Once I've something, I'm, I'm still like that now. Yeah, so that's what's brilliant. Yeah, you sort of have maybe still the same creative process. Not yeah, same. yeah. So there's no so no matter what, I kind of end up dragging everybody around me, whether they like, <laughs> like it or not, into my current obsession. And uh, I'd made, I'd, uh, me and a couple of my mates had got back into low. This is like 86 after Queenie's dead. So I thought, well, okay, well, we'd already started using the emulator on 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 some songs on, on uh, Queenie's dead. Those are like probably the most famous one. And, uh, but they were really expensive and I wasn't really ready to commit to a synth yet. And I thought, well, you know, how do I sneak this into yeah. into the Smiths? So <laughs> you and your brain, uh, yeah. There. So I, uh, <laughs> hey guys, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, like a little mustache and a side pie, <laughs> massive collars, yeah. Look, fellas. So, uh, but um, I managed to do it on. So I had this idea that um, I mean, people who read my book, they've already you know read me saying this. So you know, if the excuse the repetition, but uh, for people who don't know. Well, well, the, the technology was that um, I was getting into technology, so I'd hired this emulator and I wrote, I wrote some some keyboard parts, and um, I had this idea that the next Smiths album would would have no guitars on it, and I'd, I'd do, do it with a synth, but it still sound like us, and um, I didn't even mention it to the band, and um, I anyway, so that's how it turned out because the first song on Strange Ways was. Track one side one was a Russian a pushing the land is ours and there's actually no guitar in it and no one no, no one noticed. Um, really? No. Did you record it like in secret then? No. 
I mean, I guess you were all in the room yeah. together. Yeah, well, we, we cut the track with me playing keyboards and then, but no one really noticed that I didn't bother to put guitar on it. And it wasn't even when, until when the album was out that I'd mentioned it in the press because we, we, we managed to make it sound like us. And then I'd written this piece of music uh, because uh, of, of Eno and Lowe, uh, which then became this instrumental thing that starts, uh, last night I dreamt somebody loved me. And I can't, my, my joke is really that, you know, I was trying to be, in my mind, I was sort of being like Eno and Bowie in Berlin and it ended up sounding like Coronation Street. Uh, <laughs> Not quite. I think some people would disagree with you on that <laughs> <one>. <laughs> I mean, maybe if that was the theme tune to Coronation Street, we'd all be... Yeah, we'd be in a bit of a state. But no, it, it was suitably... Um, it was not Berlin. It was suitably... It captured the sort of spirit of being... What I, of growing up in the north without it being, you know, on a, on a keyboard. So anyway, by the time... So to answer your question, I... I had started getting interested in technology and I've always been really interested in guitar technology. I mean, I'm just, you know, gadget mad really. So, uh, yeah, so, so the rave, so the rave, so anyway, the rave thing was, uh, was, was great for that because, you know, Bernard, there was no one better than Bernard Sumner to, Mm. to kind of, to introduce me, to turn me on to, uh, a lot of kind of electronic music. Yeah. Do you guys still, yeah catch up yeah 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 he's 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 great he's still he's pretty inspired you know i'm i'm, I'm pleased for him that new order uh uh are still a a really great force you know have you seen him yeah uh do you know what i haven't we've got the same scream and new order have got the same uh monitor guy oh and, jerry uh, yeah jerry yeah yeah jerry, yeah yeah what a legend he dressed up as santa claus for our Glasgow show <laughs> I turned around like stage left he didn't have it at the beginning when we went on stage at Glasgow um, Barrowlands which is such an amazing venue and it was like yeah really the last couple of shows of the tour and it was just like balls to the wall there was something going on there was some kind of cosmic magic like juju going on at those those last shows and I, I we went on and okay a couple of songs and like two songs in I turned around and he just had full on Santa outfit, and I couldn't. I just couldn't concentrate. <laughs> I think I was playing like swastika eyes, and I turn around, and he's there like full on beard. And then we had these major strobe lights that were really like ferocious. And he um he had to wear. He was so up close to them. He had to wear like he bought these red ski goggles that covered his like entire top end of his face. So at one point he had the full on Santa outfit and these big red ski goggles. I was what? like. Trying to concentrate here, man. <laughs> yeah, and he picked the hottest place in the universe to do it. <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah, but yeah, I um, I haven't seen New Order as as New Order as, as they are now, so I yeah. really need to. And of course, no one can see shows at the moment. I mean, it's funny yeah. that we mentioned a little bit of Brian Eno because you know he wrote. I think it was you that that mentioned it before when we were talking about Brian Eno. That he wrote all these ambient works in isolation. When he, when he wasn't well yeah yeah i forgot what his illness was now but he yeah. he, he got ill in i think 74 75 something like that and and yeah. in a hospital bed kind of imagined what we he kind of imagined ambient music really mm. uh, and i think maybe it was music for airports was the first one of them uh, yeah. another, another green world came out around that time yeah i, I, I really love Eno, but it kind of suits uh yeah it, it suits this kind of odd situation we're in really i've been sort of play, playing, I've been working yeah. on a, a, a track uh, 
Now you mention it, I wondered why I've been spending a long time on this one track and it's very, very dreamy. Mm. It, it, maybe it's to do mm. with uh, the situation we find ourselves in. Well, this is it. I mean, so much has changed since I've seen you. How are you... <laughs> I mean, kind of, how are you adjusting to it? Because it's weird because I feel like nobody wants to really adjust to it permanently. So we're all in this kind of... Um, kind of don't know the sort of floating stage you know and it, it's so much uncertainty so much financial instability it's yeah um, yeah well, wants to really get used to this do they no i mean the the stillness is uh something that i think is interesting uh mm -hmm. the, and and the the uh the enforced simplicity that a lot of people myself included have, uh, yeah you know that that's that's I think that feels good, but you know, I mean, that you know, you can't even consider that when you, when you think about the 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 lives that some people are are, are living and and yeah. the, the the worry and the I mean, you know, it's, it's unfathomable, isn't it? The, sort of the economic consequences for the world and and it really is on such a huge scale for the whole world to be going through this at the same time, and for every single person to be affected by it. And even if you're not affected by it you might you may well have someone in your family who is yeah Ill. you've even lost over this there are there are people on the streets going through this you know? yeah i mean do you know be, to be to be really exactly to be really honest really honest about it i feel like if i come out of this um you know well and my, the people i love and know are well um and uh, that it, it's a it's a win it's a win really anything else beyond that totally. is a bit of a victory I, I, yeah yeah it's weird how it kind of brings you down we shouldn't need this to remember the important things in life which are pretty basic and simple you know but here we are kind of in that mindset you know it's um well it was weird you know because um do, before this happened um i was reading about uh, i was actually reading about um um Marcus Aurelius, a Roman emperor, emperor, uh, and um, uh, who who wrote his journals became a published very famous sort of psychological book called psychology book called the Meditations. So many people listen, listen to it will know about it. I, I didn't know about it. Uh, I've heard you mention it before. I need to check it out actually. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, it's it's um, it's not religion. It's uh, it's, it's uh, just philosophy, really. And uh, I was reading about it, and it was it was interesting because one of you know one of the many sort of in interesting sort of uh, aspects to it are is this idea of um, absence. Um, imagining, you know, imagining your car is you know when you want to get a new car and you or you you're fed up of it. Um, imagine it's got got nicked. Or someone torched it the night before, or you know, the, so you get the idea. Just uh, appreciating what we've got, really. Now, some people are, I find, I'm very philosophical here, but some people I find are um, naturally very good at that, or they naturally sort of lean towards that anyway. But it was an interesting thing for me, and then this happened, and it it was this sort of almost enforced. Anyway, this thing was, you know, it's the philosophy called the Stoic philosophy, and. Um, I found that it's just a coincidence that uh, mm -hmm. th this scenario, the entire world has been forced to to look at things in that same way. Like the jobs yeah. we bitch about, 
or the relatives we bitch about having to go and visit or the you know there's the, the you know the queues in the supermarkets or whatever it may be that we, yeah. we we have these petty bitches about they're now they're now withdrawn from us you know we, uh they're taken away from us and essentially it's just really all these things that we take for granted and i mean not, none more so than the nhs you know what i mean so yeah and our health and health of our parents and loved ones and all of that was real really important stuff so uh it was just a coincidence that i, I was sort of like re reading about this stuff and then i was like oh okay right you know we've all been the world has been sort of all we've we've all been told to sit on the naughty step <laughs> There is that. I honestly feel that. I think if that's the kind of attitude we can try and have or the good that can come out of it, and, and hopefully when this, um, it's not just going to suddenly end. Everyone keeps saying when it's over. It's not just going to suddenly be over. It's going to be like a, a process, isn't it? A sort of um, like a filtration process when maybe one day the last person will have had it. Well, you know, it's, well, you know, it's well, Simone, it's a weird one because I genuinely... Um, so many conversations I've had, uh, I absolutely, I, I just say, I don't know. I have no, I, I have no idea. And uh, I've tended to think uh, anyway that obviously it's a, a dire, dire situation. But I actually think that for, um, for people to actually say, we live in a world where you can Google anything and we, we can get information at our fingertips, et cetera. And we, we know everything. We, we can get information overload. And suddenly for the human race, all of us collectively to be put in this position where we just go, I don't know. Yeah. I, think it, I think that aspect of it psychologically is quite, is quite uh, interesting. And uh, speaking personally, I, I think it's interesting to... Uh, it's kind of good for us to, as people to go, I've no fucking idea. Yeah, right. Because we have to have the answers to everything. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not ideal by, you know, I wish it hadn't happened this way, but I think there's a lot of, it raises a lot of really interesting philosophical kind of issues that the world of, was just not, was, that was, no one signed up for it. It was enforced on us. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I just hope that, in in um, in areas of uh, well, certain areas of of life that we we just don't revert to type. I include I include my, I include myself in that as well. I include myself in that. Obviously, you know I don't be judgmental. Yeah, but you you have a, like a really mindful attitude about it. You know, I think you're yourself you're self aware and you you see the world. You kind of. You're taking yourself out of the equation when you talk well, about it. Well, Simone, you, I don't know whether you've ever seen me when I've, I've, when I've lost my charger. <laughs> you ain't seen me when I've lost my charger, man. Uh, and you're on tour and you're in Japan and you bought the wrong uh, the wrong extension cable and you can't charge your phone. I lose my oh, shit. I lose my shit. <laughs> That's when you need a good tour manager who will just kind of make oh, stuff man, up those, his ass. God bless those people. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a... It's weird. I'm missing. I know. I couldn't be a tour manager. Oh, I know. You really, you get to really love those people and rely on them, and really, really, you know, we're very lucky, aren't we? Tour daddy. I, I call my tour daddy because he's like, oh yeah, it becomes like that. You become it? very emotionally kind of grateful if you, you know, if you're lucky enough to have these people. You know, the. I mean, I'm really missing. Uh, that's yeah. the thing. I'm missing my band, and I miss. Uh, obviously, I miss playing. 
going to ask you what yeah I, well we had today. we had a whole load of shows lined up like yourself uh i was looking looking forward to playing victoria park with Kraftwerk and iggy that sounded good yeah 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 uh that was that was good and we had a bunch more uh that i'm missing i'm missing to see seeing people's faces and uh and you know the crew and that that side of life uh how were the rest of the bands by the way everyone's good well well jack our drummer has just had his first he's had his first child with Oh, yeah, we actually saw that. Yeah, congratulations. So Jack. he's very busy. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Uh, Doviak, who is my co-producer, uh, mm. I think he's building some weird kind of studio come bunker in his <laughs> in his garden. I dread to think what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, you have to kind of go in, down into a tunnel under the ground to get. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. It's a good thing to do at this time, I think. Just, you know yeah what are you doing a little hub. what are you doing what am i doing I'm, I'm playing every day i'm still doing the radio show um i'm doing lots of like video facetiming people like one thing i realized the other day I, i've spoken because i've got obviously like yourself a lot of friends all over the world and you kind of take that for granted a little bit and i've spoken to more of my friends and long distance friends um more so in the last six weeks than i probably have in the last year yeah, me okay. too. It's so a pain in the ass. There's that. <laughs> yeah. Normally, I can get away with not. Yeah, yeah. And now they're all coming at me from all directions. Oh my god. Yeah, there's, um, there's yeah. New phone. I just keep. I just go new phone. Who dis? <laughs> when they text me. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. It's kind of funny, isn't it? The first, the, the uh, there's a couple of people I haven't spoken to for ages that I just contacted immediately. Yeah. It's funny. It's you funny know. who you reach out to, isn't it? I mean, it's... It, yeah. 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 And who comes through. Also, like, on the other hand, it's like, it's funny who, who comes through for you in, in these moments, you know? True, I mean, yeah. Um, do you think there's this kind of idea that... I mean, we saw it when it first happened. There's this idea that, oh, everyone's got free time. We should all be creative. And there was this... Suddenly, there was this, like... Um, uh, everyone's got to do something. Everyone's got to write their novel. Everyone's got to do like, a isolation <laughs> album. And it's like, no, come on. Like, life has almost ceased happening. So it's almost like there's less to be inspired. Yeah. Now. Well, that's, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's, first off, there's this kind of like slight dream like, I mean, you can't, I mean, the weather, right? I mean, you yeah. know, the classic English person's like preoccupation with the weather, but it is unca uncanny that we're having this such rare, balmy, incredible weather. It's like, wow. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Makes things so much better if people are lucky enough to be able to get outdoors. If people, look, those yeah. ones who've got, you know, a bit of space or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. Um, but there's a, a, I don't know whether that's adding to this, it's definitely enhancing this kind of dreamlike atmosphere i think uh i think musicians um people in the creative industry maybe actors or people who work on sets or whatever are used to weird kind of being on i would say like being on toil so much of it is like you, you've got the pause button pressed down totally you know time is very weird as you know like because you're on for people who don't know who've not been on tour it really is like it's like one of those, I feel like one of those old cassette machines where record and play are, are pressed down, but also so is pause. So you kind of, yeah. you're waiting for the sound check. You're waiting to 
eat, you're waiting to go to the airport, you're waiting for the plane, you're waiting for the show, and then the pause button's let off, and then <laughs> you, you leap around like a mad person. But you, you leap around like a nut job, and then pause has gone on again. Yeah. So I think musicians, uh, and, and let's say people were kind of, um, I think actors as well, because there's a lot of waiting around, and, and people who are sort of maybe, let's say, um, familiar with altered states, say, are a kind yeah. you know, they're kind of, yeah, used to, uh, used to that sort of, the way time sort of is suspended a little bit. And um, so I wonder mm -hmm. about people who's, who've, uh, who are, whose lives are, are much more structured because what the weekends mean much more then, you know, and whereas now it's just this sort of one long, crazy mm -hmm. sort of weird dream. And the other thing I noticed out, out near where I live anyway is that, um, it's probably nostalgia on my part, but I was thinking, I was like, why does this sort of remind me of 1975? Or, uh, and it's because <laughs> loads of people are out, believe uh, people are out sort of walking around because they, they need to get out. But also it's because there's so few cars yeah. on the road. I, I don't know whether, yeah. you know, it's kind of weird really. I was like, wow, it's, is this like what it was like in the 50s or something? It, it does feel like a bit of a time walk. It, it really does. It's kind of... Um, it's almost like there's nothing to grab hold of, like to kind of remind you that, you know, it's that cliche of what day is it again? You know, and I agree with the touring thing. It's, I was saying to Andrew, it's like perpetually coming back off of tour and kind of not knowing what to do with yourself. And I think as anyone who's self-employed, especially like self-employed musician, you are used to not having that kind of super structure in your day. Yeah. You're used to kind of, um, <clears throat> fucking about, like waking up or one or something fucking about yeah like what whatever but there is that kind of your time is your own and, and you make it your own and, and you might be working till three in the morning or, or or six even or yeah you know you might get your best ideas very early in the morning or very late at night and and it's kind of up to you when you make stuff happen you know you're not really com in that in the um in those boundaries of like a nine to five and uh, yeah you're right i think it is a bit more difficult for someone who's had this sort of structure to suddenly I, I mean, I like, uh, you know, I like living in my head. Uh, I like, I, I, I miss the shows. I miss the interaction with uh, people I know yeah. and, um, and that that sort of side of things. But uh, the sort of the enforced kind of simplicity I'm liking, the, the, the stillness I'm liking, uh, the world kind of being on pause I'm liking, the, the worry of it for... Uh, but as I say, that's just me being very indulged, really. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'd like for it to never happen and for it to... Yeah, but there's stop. nothing wrong in, in, in making it positive for you, making it work for you in the way that everyone somehow has to kind of get through it. Yeah. You know? and, and we're all getting through it at varying degrees. We're all... Of, this whole idea of we're in it together, we are and we're not. We are all in the same... Uh, pandemic but um, we're all in it to varying degrees you know and we're all affected by it to varying degrees and it's um you know some are, are going to struggle yeah i mean that's that's, the, and that's what's really awful. well it is and it's awful because uh even if you were able to do something about it you, you, you we can't you know we we know that people are in such a terrible time i mean in, in other countries for example and uh, you know that this, the, you know, there's there's so much suffering going on. And there's nothing that you, that 
one can do about it is is not is not a good feeling really yeah and there's no amount of injecting all that's gonna save us oh i think that's a great idea <laughs> I mean, I was I was being sarcastic. It's just, I mean, even that. I think you know, not to get too political, but the political landscape and all this is really. I think we we we're probably on a similar sort of par with it all, but it's really exposed what's kind of going on and the attitudes for people. Yeah, well, really, a massive eye opener for everyone, even people who are supporting. You know, yeah, the baddies, and that, yeah, the baddies, man. Even now, it's like, um, well, what? Well, you've got a guy in his 90s, a war veteran, raising more money for the NHS than the actual government's sort of, yeah, seemingly I'm, putting into it. I mean, obviously, you know, as you know, as an idealistic person, the um, that, that's what happens, isn't it, in times of crisis? You, you, you really get to see the amazing humanity. And the and the really fabulous, fantastic side of humanity, uh, you see that really well on a, yeah. on a, you know, to get political just for thirty seconds. Um, I think it's a fact that, um, and this isn't even a criticism, um, that our government, well, they, I think they would <laughs> acknowledge themselves that they they are the cabinet and and the, uh, everyone involved are there to uh, deliver Brexit. Mm. That's why they were chosen, and that's why they are there. Those those individuals, yeah. and and I, from, I I I have my doubts as to whether they're the kind of people who can deal with this kind of uh, need for leadership. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, you know, and certainly in the United States, I mean, really, at a time like like now, it, you know, it takes a lot more than trotting out some covert, coded Churchillian. Uh, like banter to actually to actually be a historic and real uh, person that everybody can have some sort of faith and solace and uh, and belief. And I'm not even talking about whether you're on the left or on the right. I mean, exactly. You know, I think it's beyond that at the, at the moment. I think it has to be about people first, like actions over words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And presence, you know, someone, someone with. I seriously, I, honestly. You know, but people can guess what side I'm on. But uh, if if there was a person who just, as a person, uh, exuded a kind of um, authority and compassion and vision and and uh, uh, integrity, I, I don't care whether you know you're Tory or Labour or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd be on board with that. But we we need it and we ain't got it. So there, there you go. You know. Common rant sense. over. Common sense. No, that's not a rant. It's just a nice little excerpt. <laughs> <laughs> Is, uh, have you felt like a, a kind of, like, I don't know, what's the word, sort of, that real support of coming together of, of the music industry? Because I, I've kind of felt it online. Everybody wants to support all of the areas of in, industry. Like people have still had album scheduled to come yeah. out and you know we still want to support that and but for it to go more direct to the artists you know yeah labels who want to support labels who want um money to go direct to them and then direct to yeah. the artists and uh, you know it's hard in a whole world of streaming to get any money any money to an artist let alone this kind of time yeah i think it comes you know. back to that thing of a uh, seeing seeing a really good side of humanity uh, i have noticed in the in the industry that um 
you know, I've been asked to do quite a lot of stuff online. Uh, a lot, yeah. you know, I, I, th I think you can't do everything and some ideas are great and some ideas aren't. But I, I think from what I've seen, the vibe has been a, a genuinely altruistic and, and uh, a sincere uh, attempt to do some good, I think. Uh, you know, you, yeah, you can sniff out when when there's a, you know, when there's a kind of dodgy motive, I think. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. I th I've been feeling like um, it, I, I, I'm not very cynical, which is nice. You know, there's, there's you yeah. know, there's been a lot of, you know, I got us to do this thing on Fender. Uh, I was just going to mention that you're doing like, yeah. you know, streaming and playing guitar and, and showing people, well, you know, how to play well, some well, well, Yeah, well, that thing happened because I can't take credit for it. It, it was, um, you know, um, my management um, said really as soon as this thing happened, um, hey, listen, why, why don't you just post some stuff that some people are going to really like and make them feel just better in the morning, you know. Uh, so, uh, just so, cheers, cheers some people up who like what you do. And it was just just coming from, not even overthinking, it was just coming from, from that sort of point of view. And I thought, oh, you know, it's a way of sort of just keeping a certain kind of communal or community sort of spirit, really, in, in my sort of world, um, by saying, look, you know, ask me whatever you want and, and let's try and make, make it either... If it if it can't be interesting, let's just try and make it funny. I'm loving you know? the Q and A's. Like just for those of you who who are listening who weren't aware, where have you been? Uh, on Instagram, your Instagram and your Facebook. Yeah, was the same thing in it. I suppose these days, <laughs> it's all owned by one person. Um, you're doing the Q live Q and A's. Uh, is that every day? Yeah. Or you just doing it in little bits. No, what happens is I just get a whole load of questions. Sometimes it's it's been live a couple of times, but my on my site. Um, uh, yeah, the people just send me loads of questions, mm, I bet. Uh, and I just sort of pick randomly what I, I might have an answer to, uh, and then it's funny. try and try and do some. Try, try, yeah, <laughs> kind of try not not for it to get too, too serious. I get asked. You can imagine I get asked a lot of the same question. What, what's the weirdest um, thing you've been asked? Because you must get all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, right. Uh, well, <laughs> I got asked. Um, well, I got asked. Well, someone said, "What's one of the something along these lines? What's one of the most ter worst terrible things that that you've ever done? That that uh, decisions you've ever made that you would really not like for one of your children to make that same decision?" I thought, God, that's a bit. Of <laughs> I think I saw that, and that was your answer, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. that is a that is a bit personal and i was like wow and i was, I was like well a um a does anyone really want to hear about that <laughs> yeah. and, and, that's between you uh, and your and, children man that's not yeah and, and well certainly for children definitely don't hear it. <laughs> yeah what we're thinking but, ew, don't even let me yeah, know so Jesus. i was like I, well, yeah god yeah so uh yeah that, that comes to mind yeah but i've uh <laughs> You know, the week this broke, I, I managed to. I, I got a new. Oh, I got a new puppy. Anyways, you oh know. Oh my so, god! Yeah, it's yeah. It's a girl, right? Indie. Yeah, she's an indie. Yeah, yeah. I've got. A, well, I love. Well, you know, I love Ridgebacks. So, uh, yeah. So we got. So she's keeping me really busy. Hard work for a puppy, really. Oh man! So, 
Yeah, that's keep, a baby. That's keeping me busy. Yeah, that, I think that's why I'm making this ambient track to try like calm her down. You know, <laughs> calm myself down. Oh. Yeah, she, they're awesome. Yeah, she's really good. So that's been that's kind of been fun. That's been keeping us on our toes. But anyway, yeah, I introduced her on the on the Q and A and. You know, so she's got a lot of fans now. Oh my god, so, she's gonna have her own Instagram, right? Oh yeah, I know. You know, all these pets that have their own Instagram. They've got like twenty million followers, and oh no, definitely, she'll definitely get more than me. Without <laughs> a doubt. Yeah, you have to have the outfits. You'll have to like dog on a skateboard <laughs> as standard. Dog sitting and dog sunbathing. Dog with a like a little guitar around its neck. Oh, you can have like dog with a mini jazz master. <laughs> oh man, what's it? She actually, what were we noticing that she was really. Yeah. Oh, honestly. Well, the cribs. When I was in the cribs, uh, they had a really great dog called Ollie, and we used to have uh, Ollie's face was on the kick drum, you know. And the, you used to, this dog used to come in the studio when you were recording. You said that was, was right. So that was a, a story that I heard from. Um, that was Alex in France. Oh no, we did have a studio. Yeah, no, that studio. was my dog. That was Riff. That was Riff. Oh, that's <laughs> called Riff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was Riff, yeah. She was, dog. yeah. We, well, we had one called Boogie, and yeah, we had one, <laughs> the we, one we had and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got intro, <laughs> well, I think I, I remember uh, Noel. I think Noel's cats were called Mick and Keith, which I think is great, really. Oh, god, yeah. Mick and Keith. Yeah, so what what are you up to then? What what's gonna happen next? I don't know. We we have a, a gig scheduled in October with Noel with uh, oh god, sorry Liam. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get those two mixed up, hey. No, no, no. Um with uh, with Liam Gallagher uh, in in aid of NHS. Um Oh yeah. I mean, I'm hoping it it goes on, you know. Uh, somebody I, I did a post and somebody underneath wrote, Oh, like, ha-ha, you think this is actually going to go ahead? Ha-ha. And I thought, well, I don't know. But at least we're yeah. planning something. Like, somebody's got to think about something. We can't just all kind of disappear into this, this pool of despair, you know. And it kind of occurred to me that I saw – I don't know who it was. I can't remember who it was. Um, but I, I saw this um, – it was a gig that was happening online. And it was basically the band on stage, obviously, like, six metres apart at all times – playing to an empty room uh and streaming it and right, i'm thinking oh my god is that the future you know a, a well, band's gonna sort of like hire out wembley arena or, or the o2 and do a gig to no one and stream it you know feel that's sort of how my my first band it felt <laughs> that's what, like <laughs> when, I, when i think back to my first few gigs without the streaming that's why yeah without the streaming yeah that's why people um so when I, you know, when I started my own my own sort of band in I guess two thousand three or something, and I started with the solo band and stuff, um, and you know every every interview I did, you know, journalists watch and know, well, is it is it scary being the frontman now? Is it scary? And I was like, you're kidding me, right? What what you might you try being fifteen and playing a gig to like eighteen of your mates, all th- all throwing stuff. Yeah. All drunk on cider, just he- yeah. just heckling you in a yeah. in a in an empty school hall. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Do 
you know that scene in in the in um, the last waltz where Robbie Robertson's talking about one gig and he's like, "There's one drunk guy and a one-armed go-go dancer," and somehow <laughs> a fight broke out. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I've had a few of those in my time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I mean, like, what what is getting you through yeah. these? like this weird yeah. time you got like any recommendations for books or, or albums yeah like, yeah that kind of stuff it's getting me through um well uh i've been you know i don't know about you right but every every about every 10 years or so i go well first off every few years i go into the david bowie rabbit hole and i've been doing this since really since probably <laughs> I don't know, 77, 78. And now I'm like, how many more times can I sort of, you know, can I write, all right, how many more times can I get really into Honky Dory and read three books and all of that? But, um, but so I went into, uh, but I do, I sort of over the last sort of 20 years or so, I do the same with Picasso. It's sort of about seven or eight, every seven or eight years or something, I think. So I've been reading, been rereading, um, John Richardson wrote this uh, these amazing biographies of, of Picasso, uh, and there's three of them, and they're, they're, they're very extensive. So I've been rereading about Picasso, and uh, I watched a great documentary on Netflix. You know, I'm such a John Didion uber Yeah, you uber love fan. John Didion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's, um, there's a documentary for people who want to, find out about John Didion or people who already like her. If you've not seen it, it's, it's called The Centre Will Not Hold. It's, it hold. it's on um, Netflix. So uh, I've been reading up. Yeah, she's amazing. So I've been reading, reading, uh, rereading bits of her stuff, uh, whilst this Picasso stuff and listening to, do you know what? I've got, um, uh, I heard this really, uh, a song that I really love that I, f- um, I think I'd like to share is uh <laughs> yes go that, on man. so this is johnny quite, mar's recommendation for it uh, is. Time yeah altitude. it is it's called it's called cloud nine spell n-e-i-n and it's by man man uh they man man have been around a while I, I got to know them when they were opening for modest mouse so that was quite a long time ago and they were amazing amazing but uh this is their latest thing i think it came out a couple of months ago and the video if you look at Man Man Cloud Nine, the video is brilliant. Shot in London, uh, that's on YouTube. So, and I've been I've been listening to uh, you'll know that band Sorry, right? Yeah, I know Sorry. I think I played one of their tracks on my yeah, show. Yeah, do you know? I think I got. I think you turned me on to Sorry, actually. Yeah. yeah so I've it on my show before, yeah. they uh, they definitely know what they're doing. So I've been enjoying their record, and uh, and then just working messing around with machines really on my own like uh and putting a putting a, a sort of makeshift kind of studio together so i've been i've been pretty busy but in a kind of dreamlike yeah uh tempo i love the way you're describing stuff it's like what was the other one um enforced simplicity dreamlike tempo i mean so- these are <laughs> Something like that. I think I don't think it was quite that <laughs> nice. No. I've seen it. I've seen it in my mind. Yeah. I mean, are you is, are you doing any new music or is it too soon to play? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I mean, I am. No, I am. I'm, I'm do, doing new music, and I'm sort of kind of obsessed with it. But I must confess, yeah. uh, my studio. Uh, it's sort of 
So Niall, my son, uh, is he's working on a new movie. So uh, okay. yeah, so I saw a new album out. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he put his new he's an EP. He put that out. That came out yesterday. Yeah. So that's out under his own name, Nama. But so uh, that came out yesterday. But he's working on a movie, a really good movie. It's it's uh, Ron Howard. Amy Adams is in it. Um, mm -hmm. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. It's an amazing film. Uh, you doing the soundtrack for it. He's he's doing he's playing on the soundtrack. I, I don't know who's written. It. I don't know if it's Hans or someone else has written it. But Niall's doing a lot of guitar and different sort of things on it. So, uh, so he's kicked me out of my studio. <laughs> <I love laughs> that, that yeah. is, that's got to be the one benefit of having, you know, forgive the term, but having a rock star dad. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Dan, yeah. Can I, have, can I use the studio during lockdown? I've got my creative career to keep up. Yeah. Well, he's he's he has a little place uh, that's been closed down, um, and uh, and so yeah. So I can't get him on studio at the moment. He's booted me out. So um, so I'll just have to sort of go and hang out in the garden and play with the puppy. Oh. And read about Picasso. I mean, we were talking about before, like. Um, your parents wanting to kind of protect you a bit from, yeah, I don't know, the downfalls of the music industry. Do you still do you feel the same way about Nile, or are you just, you're just going to let him sort of get on with it? Well, like, you know, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's been doing it a long time. The thing with Nile was when he first started, um, he, he started out not in a band, you see, he started out on his own, um, with an acoustic through looper pedals and all of that so he was doing that solo thing and he was only about 14 15 then and he was opening for some bands uh and he, he his thing was he got really he was really inspired by elliot smith you know a lot of people were you know when he when he does press and stuff he gets a lot of that oh you know what you know what's in good of smith and your dad this that and the other well he, he didn't really give a shit about my stuff he was you know i think it was around him you know and um uh, Modest Mouse. I was in Modest Mouse at that time, and he he, he he liked. But so I was cool with him for about three years, uh, you know, because uh, I was in a band he liked. But uh, the uh, that didn't last long. But uh, yeah, he he started out doing these solo shows. So he would play a couple of times. I remember one time he played on. Uh, he played a real leery place in town, uh, very late at night. So. From a sort of, from that point of view, I was a little concerned about him. But in terms of the press and fame and and attention and all of that, it, he's always kind of gone his own way, and he's he's he was pretty independent, and he kind of knew what he was doing. So, yeah, you know what, Simone, I'm just happy he's got a job. Oh yeah, I guess he must be so proud of him though, because he's clearly great at what he does, and I think even stylistically, he's worked it out, and he looks super cool, and he's know, got his own thing, which is cool. Yeah, you know. You know, he has got his own thing, and um, uh, he plays in all these mad tunes. So when when the uh, when it, when he's when he's gone, when he leaves the house, I'll pick up a guitar. I have no idea what I'll play it because it's in some ridiculous, weird <laughs> kind of <laughs> some mad. They're all, and then I pick up another one, and that's in a that's in a weirder tune. And it's always been like that. He just plays in these kind of mad mad tunes. So so yeah, it's, now he's good. He's uh, you know, with, with the family are kind of. Um, it's a sort of old-fashioned term now. I mean, me and you've talked about it before, but uh, I think my kids kind of grew up in a, a bohemian kind of atmosphere, really. And um, you know, I, I uh, I'm, I'm all, I feel very uh, 
a, a kind of a, I feel a lot of affection for um, I don't know whether Bohemia still exists now, but uh, what, what Bohemianism is really, um, you know, it, it's because it's it's kind of a, apolitical, and it's you know luckily luckily it's about creativity, uh, but it's um, you know uh, so I kind of you know the family are kind of very creative kind of family, so I'm very you know I feel feel very lucky you know. Yeah, I guess it's nice to all be in the same vibe, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, and we, you know, we all turn each other on to music and all that. It's very, it's great. It's, it's uh, no, I feel very, you know, very, very lucky. But truth be told, I'd be doing that whether I'd made money at it or not. That's just my sensibility, you know. As, uh, you know, I, uh, the the thing was, I always, uh, I always just wanted to. I just wanted to be able to make a living as a musician. And obviously, you know, everyone wants, you know, when you're younger, you want to be a rock star and you want to be known, you want to be, you know, a bit of fame and all of that stuff. But I genuinely just wanted to uh, be be a musician, just like you are, you know. Yeah, yeah so. I mean, yeah, totally relate to that. I mean, um, do you remember, remember when you came on the show before and I, I said to you if you could have a, a theme tune? Like when you walked into a room, like a bit of music would play. Do you remember what you chose? <laughs> no. You chose the T Rex Hot Love, like na 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 na. Did I really? Yeah. Wow, that's but, that's. What I was gonna say, sorry, just going back to that idea. Um, has <laughs> it changed? Has your theme tune changed? Now we're all in a bit of a kind of more subdued, simplistic kind of vibe. Would it be something different now? Yeah, it probably would be. It'd have, it'd have to be something a little more more dreamy now, I think, wouldn't it? Um, um, wow, what, what my mind got really goes to. Uh, I mean, really now, now, kind of really slowing down. Now I'm thinking of it. Uh, do you know, it, it'd almost be something like. Um, at this point, it would probably be be it, something like. Um, one World by John Martin. Have you ever heard that? I'm sure I haven't. Yeah, it was ju- just the last record I liked of his, really before he started going off in another direction. But it's uh, I-, I think of it. I don't. My mind goes to that because it's one of the first sort of ambient kind of records that I knew. It's an ambient guitar record, so it's you know it's uh, kind of sort of very very sort of dreamy. Yeah, uh, and and actually as simplistic as the words are, I think. You know, it's sort of very uh, appropriate for this time. Mm. Do you have like a vault? Like, you know how lots of artists have like just this vault, of, not vault. I'm thinking of Prince when I when I say the word vault, but like, um, yeah, it's kind of chunk body of work that they haven't tapped into, haven't used. It's kind of sort of finished, a little bit finished. Not sure if they're going to use it. Do you have one of those things where you've got like a, a big kind of yeah, I mean, I think files kind of. I, yeah, I think I've got like there's drives knocking around with, with loads of, loads of bits of music. The th- my, my problem is that um, I actually, um, with that is I can't. The idea of going back, it, it actually makes me uh, almost anxious. Um, the, the, so it was kind of a little bit of a drawback when <laughs> when I agreed to do my autobiography. Because right. by you know slight you know slight drawback, um, <laughs> yeah, a bit of an issue there. Yeah, uh, and um, it's one of the reasons why I really you know I, I got that book done in. It took me nine months, which 
it is pretty good, yeah. It is really because it's it takes people uh, a lot longer to do a lot less. It does. I've got a couple of mates who've done similar kind of books, and, and they took both of them took three years, and uh, and you know, and I, so I absolutely really uh, hunkered down and just completely hammered it when I wrote that book. Uh, and I think because of it, it's got a certain kind of pace and it's not overthought. And I'm quite happy with the way the way it's been. The way people like that book because it, it's a bit of a page turner and it flies by. Uh, um, yeah, I, it was you know so. Uh, what, so I just got in there and did it, but I uh, I, I don't like um, I don't even really like playing. I like playing my old stuff on stage uh, because that that's a sort of presentation of a song, and you you know you're in. Well, stating the obvious you're in an environment that people want to hear it and and it's great it feels good and all of that but the idea of like uh sitting around playing your old stuff at home either listening to it or playing it on the guitar or or, or I, i'm i've always been this thing of like trying to create new stuff all the time uh and uh to me it, to me it's like a painter just painting the same thing over and over again it's weird <laughs> Uh, or painting on top of the same yeah. canvas. Yeah, so I've got a load of, I do have a load of stuff. Occasionally, all right, occasionally, if I get asked to do, like I got asked to do some some South American program recently, asked me to do like a, do the music for, for it. And I thought, right. yeah, it was, it was some sort of, some sort of sport thing. I thought, well, I, I, my head's in a different place right now, but I've got a couple, I'm pretty sure I've got a couple of good songs that I never bothered to put in a vocal on or, whatever so I, but you know what what stopped me was I thought oh no I'm not gonna like I just can't be bothered like pulling out all these old hard drives and going through all of these old ideas that I didn't really want to pursue so it, it just feels depressing to me I, I like getting an idea and if it intoxicates me and engages me enough to see it through you know with, a, with an album the way I do it I either, you know, as you'll know, right, the best things are they all come in the fully formed and blah, 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 like everyone says. You know, yeah, these songs like, yeah. wow, where did that come from? Just flows up. Yeah, the they're just crackers. But I sort of, I, I get about 17 or 18 sort of pretty good kind of vibes and ideas. And then once once I've got a, a, the, the whole big picture, I then start sort of, you know, moving from song to song. And, uh, and then I sort of have these like 18 or 19 or whatever, that I get very enthusiastic about. So uh, that, that's how I do it, really. So I'm sort of looking over at my notice board here. You work, it seems that you work pretty fast. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You do not like kind of going re-editing stuff. You just like one take. Two I learned over the years to do that, really. Um, that I think it, doing what I do, I, I would sort of suggest in other walks of life as well, I've, I've seen this happen, um, a very brilliant person uh, showed me this really. He's, there's a mixer called Spike Stent, Mark Stent. Uh, yeah, and he's he's you know he's just like one of he's a genius really, and, and he's done so many records that everybody you know depict from Depeche Mode and Massive Attack and all you know he's brilliant. And um, uh, I always I had a reputation for working very fast anyway, but um, you know he uh, I just saw the way he mixed and he did his incredible thing and anyway it's all about just what he, what he reaffirmed in me or confirmed in me is that you don't have to make good decisions when you're in a good mood so keeping your energy up I know that sounds very simplistic but I have been around because I've done so many sessions it, it's really the 
you know, some people are very methodical and very slow, but that just drags my energy down and I end up overthinking things and, you know, you know, this. You won't be doing a collaboration with My Bloody Valentine's Day. Uh, why is, is that what Kevin does? Does he take forever? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just mean the sheer amount of oh, time yeah. that. The albums take. No, no, I mean, I mean, obviously, you you got to have quality control, and you got to when the thing's done, you got to think, right, it's great. I'm not talking about just knocking stuff out, but but yeah, oh no, but you know, I think uh, with the with the uh, with the advances in technology, unfortunately, technology on the face of it, you would think is designed to speed up the process, but well, you know, without sounding like an old fuddy duddy about it. Really, in recording studios, I think ten, what really tended to happen was that the introduction of technology made lots of things possible, but it didn't have slow shit down. Yeah. Uh, it really did, you know. Yeah, man, you know. Yeah, like too many processes to go yeah. through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I love technology, and I'll mess around with plugins and stuff and do all of that. But, but um, yeah, um, you know, I, I found that... Um, and I, I believe David Bowie used to do this as well. Like when you've got your energy up, you tend to, not all your ideas are going to be good, but the opposite is, what's what, that great French word, ennui, ennui, right? Ennui. Uh, you know, that kind of, you, you just, your wheels start going around too slow and everyone just starts looking out the window. And, you know, I've been, I've been in some, some sort of sessions like that. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's try this and let's try that. And, and the vibe just sort of goes down. So I'm a bit of a, I, I try and keep my energy up quite a lot, really. Mm-hmm. I like that thing that, I think is it James Brown used to do it after the show, he would take the band to the studio and record there and then, because that's when they're really firing. Yeah. Like, do a live I thought you were going to say, I, you like, go through all that just to warm up and be in that right headspace. Yeah, what, right after a show. Yeah, you had, probably had to get yeah. him off the ceiling because he'd done a load of people. PCP. <laughs> Where are the band? Where are the band? They're in a different town, James. That was last night. But could could happen. I'm still young. Uh, well, well, this well, the thing is, my second album, in my own way, um, when I did the Messenger, and it you know went really. It was a dream, really. I, I didn't know it was going to go as well as it did. A lot of people liked it, and fans liked it, which is the most important thing. But. Um, it did great mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, whilst I was doing that I said to the band right okay uh, the next album uh, uh, I've got some songs and we should uh, we should we should on the next album we'll, we'll, we'll tour this album and uh, whilst we're doing the next album we're doing some festivals we'll, we'll bolt back home we'll bolt back to Manchester in there and we'll record the tracks for the second album you can see the band going can we just finish this one first and, <laughs> <laughs> and but that was because as an idea I thought with Playland, I always liked, um, there's always this thing when I was growing up, you'd read in the music press about when, when bands are put their second albums out, it's like, oh, second album syndrome, because they'd spent, you know, this idea that, you know, all the yeah. good, good stuff was used up on the first album and the second album was always done in a hurry. Yeah, they love to put that pressure. Yeah. I mean, they think bands put fresh, that much pressure on themselves, they know it, they know it's the second album, if the first one's gone well. Well, I, but I just liked, I loved, there were some bands that I loved that, uh, like Talking Heads, more songs about buildings and food. There, I was their second album. That was great, and um, and the only one second album I really liked, and Buscock's second album I really liked. So I thought, oh no, I'm not really sure about that. I'd like, and um, I mean, you know, there'll be some clever dick out there who'll go, well, what about what about this? But um, the so what I did with that second album, 
Well, what I did was like, with that second album, I was like, um, I, I thought, well, look, it, we'll be touring with the Messenger, and and it's getting a lot of traction, and we're feeling good. And this energy of, to, you know, following from what you were saying, the uh, the energy from the live band. We'll, whilst when we've got gaps in touring, even if it's a few days here and there, we'll come in and we'll 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 have the energy of the live band. So that's the way I did it. I didn't, you know, I, uh, I I didn't uh, drag everyone in the studio after the show, but I, I dragged everyone in the studio in between touring, in between these festival days, and it worked. That I really like that second album. That songs like Playland and and uh, Back in the Box. They were really as we sounded at sound checks, and so. It, it kind of worked, you know. Did you, were you aware um, when you went out on your own and you were doing your solo stuff, you, were you aware that you wanted to create a very unique, different sound than the other stuff you've done before that was, like, inherently you? Like, was this thing where you were like, yeah. what do I sound like on my own? What's that? Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, well, luckily, um, I, had, I had quite a bit of time to think about it because the solo, I didn't go, oh, now's the time to do a solo thing what is it going to be, which would would be understandable. Uh, I was coming up with stuff because I was in the cribs and, and even with Modest Mouse before that, I was touring so much. I was coming up with ideas. I had a few titles and I, I had a few uh, riffs and ideas for songs. Uh, the Messenger was one and I had the, this song called Dynamo and uh, I had Word Starts Attack that I just... You know, maybe they could have been in the cribs, but I just didn't see the cribs doing. And I, and I kicked, kicked them around at sound checks and stuff, and no one really kind of paid that much attention to it. And and I and I really liked it. So I remember, you know, because I don't drink, and uh, uh, I'd be in my bunk, I'd be in my bunk, um, having had a run or whatever, and I was living that kind of lifestyle after shows. I'd be, I'm out socialising. I, mean, I love the love the fellas, and I love both those bands, best times in my life. But but I'd be. I was doing a lot of running at night and a lot of reading and I was just getting this sort of idea. Essentially it happened without whether I liked it or not. Uh, I was just, I was just getting all of these ideas that seemingly were really quite good. So it then became this, this thing of, uh, Oh, right. Okay. These sort of things have got a certain kind of sound that kind of remind me of, to be honest, half of, I've said this before, but the sound of, my solo band in the first couple of albums anyway, it sounded not unlike what the bands I was in before the Smiths sounded like. There was a certain kind of, I guess it's called post-punk, kind of post-punk kind of thing. Um, and 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 then some of it sounded like the bands I was in after the Smiths, like a bit of a the, the vibe or a little bit of electronic and all of that. And um, so I thought, I don't really want to join another band and I've got these songs and I don't really want to get someone else to sing it. So it kind of just formed itself really. Uh, and, um, by the time I come to do well, so what I'm with the cribs was like, they were looking at, uh, they'd come at the end of the, or we'd come at the end of a 18 month or two year period. And everyone was sort of going the separate ways for a while. And I just said, listen, I'm going to do this solo stuff because I've got all of these songs. And, uh, I know enough, I've got enough about me to know that if anyone, <laughs> you'll know what I mean. If anyone, if, if anyone, anyone says, I want to write 30 sets of lyrics, you go, right, do it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's very rare that people say that. Totally. Get it all out. Because there'll be something amazing <laughs> in there. Because like. usually getting people to write, getting people to write words is like you have to, you know, 
you have to stand over him with a crowbar or you have to yeah or you have to send them flowers for three months or you have to like let, let them go off and find themselves you know i didn't i didn't have to do any of that uh, so i thought hey listen you know the singer in this band which happens to be me uh, he's very excited yeah. about writing all of these songs so i thought well everybody's just got to step aside and let me do it i had no idea how it was going to be received and i said to james who's in my band who played with me in the healers like look james I'm going to do this thing, but we may end up just playing in art galleries, which was, believe it or not, an, an idea that I had. Uh, we may end up. Yeah, I'm all for that. Like bands yeah. playing in alternate venues. Yeah, I genuinely was like, well, with we either we might end up playing in our mate's art gallery for 200 people, or or you know we we might we might play Glastonbury. I have no idea. I just don't know. But either way, I'm going to do yeah. it. Uh, and um, I like see there's that attitude again. There's that kind of like I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a killer instinct. It's a sort of kind of phrase, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think you've got to not um, this. The people aren't are going to be like going, yeah, sure. But I think you've got to if you don't give a shit whether it's successful or not. There's something kind of pure it's about nothing. it. If when you're not sort of totally concerned in the outcome, is when the real stuff comes out. It's not. Con- constrained by anything I suppose whatever it is no, you know, I mean, lyrics it, music whatever. yeah I mean you still got to it, it's handy if you've got you know if, if there's a few tunes around because it's not like what I do is you know I, I don't I'm just you know I like I happen to like things that have a good start middle of an end and an end and it, it was also helpful that uh, I wanted to make stuff that was pretty much all up tempo and had a sort of high energy about it. So it wasn't so conceptual that I was going, well, you know, we'll just stand in a corner, uh, you know, with no lights on and just play, you know, just sort of weird avant-garde music. That's coming next. That's going to be the next album. Going to do your Scott Walker album soon. God, no one, no one needs to hear that. Like, but like hitting bits of meat, well, not meat because you're vegan, but you could just slap bits of tofu against the wall or something. One step ahead of me there, as always. <laughs> some courgettes or, like, you know, some deep fried cauliflower, like, as percussion. I don't know. I know, I know. Do you do one of those, like, kind of crazy out there albums? Yeah, I mean, I keep threatening to do that. I, we are, I, well, I don't know why I'm saying yeah. I like Yeah, um, just say yes to everything. Sure, why not? No, well, I start off with some of my stuff starts off with that, and then I kind of just go, it's a bit slow. Yeah. Or I, I like, um, I mean, to be honest, you know, because I get to play on movie stuff, that sort of gets that side yeah. of things out for me, I think. Yeah, working with Hans Zimmer uh, must have been amazing. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it does. And, you know, there's a couple of other people around Hans that I've been working with that are, that are really good. He's got a good team. So, you know, sometimes I work with with some other kind of assistant uh, or other, other composers and just great people. But um, no, I, I sort of, I keep threatening to do an instrumental album at some point. Uh, but, I, you know, I kind of, I have this thing at the moment where I've really like, I like being on stage and I like the vibe between me and the audience. And, um, and that came to me, that came to me really late in my career. You, you, uh, you used know, to prefer it, being in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I, I never liked touring. I never. I, I was. I, I wasn't really a fan of it in the certainly in the Smiths days. I just. I, I didn't like it. Um, I mean, all that. What about when you first started doing your first gigs as, as a real young? Uh, yeah, yeah. Good point. 
Well, that was great because, believe it or not, it's nothing to do with performance um, or being like admired or anything because um, uh, it was to do with, and people who have been in bands with me will, will confirm this, it was to do with like all, it comes back to the very, very start of this thing of watching that band set up when I was a kid. What I liked when I first started playing in, in these little bands with my mates at 14, 15, was I liked setting the gear up and I liked putting my amps next to the drummer and I liked having a lead and I liked uh, I liked sort of cleaning my guitar and I just liked, yeah. And all the accoutrement, if you like. I mean, the, Smith, the, the, the Cribs will tell you that before we played a note together, I decided, right, I really like these guys because we set up our equipment in the same way. Yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it? Uh, seriously? It's so the I've been nuances, doing... isn't it? The little things. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, right, I've got something in common with these guys. And, um, you know, they remember that. And um, so when I was younger, I liked all of that bit of it. But the actual, I don't, I, I've just never been someone who like, really needs for uh, uh, to be t- sort of loved, really, validated mm. uh, by. No, and that's never come audiences. across in the way you present yourself. I've got to say yeah it's never been it's clearly not your you know raising debt it's, it's really not it, I, you've always struck me as um just purely being about music and, and handling yeah in a really well, I mean, kind of i don't know it sounds like i'm really got my head up your butt now but like handling the press and the no- oh, continue continue yeah, no, stop it carry on stop it um it, it's it's a you've always kind of handled yourself well in public well, I've had my moments. You know, I mean, it's hard growing up. Well, you know, growing up, you know, getting attention when you're young. I mean, you, you know, it's like, uh, it's very kind of you to say that. But, uh, I mean, you know, I've I had my moments with, you know, like anyone else. And, 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 you know, and also this, everyone knows, I mean, I really like clothes and I like style. And that, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's more, I, I hope it's not about vanity. You know, look, I know I've got, you have to have an ego to, yeah, of course, man. I mean, you've got to, you've got to enjoy it as well. You know, you can't be. All- you've got to have an ego, but I never liked. But anyway, I, I love playing live now. Uh, I love. Uh, I, I love my fans. I love. I love my fans, man. I love yeah. every single one of those guys. <laughs> uh, well, even that, that weird one at the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I love. I love what a gig is. I love the. I love the ceremonial aspects of it i love the ritualistic aspect yeah. and i love the volume I, I love like my band is so good and i love that sort of energy on stage and um and all, all of that oh you're really making me miss live gigs now i was just talking about i'm gonna play with you guys seriously though it's been it's am- it amazing i mean i i can't, I, I can't initiate that okay. i'm just a he's quite um, good that he's quite good bobby gillespie isn't he he's all right isn't he i mean talking about although we can't play live obviously um now you know you joined us last year which was so fantastic um that was fun what were some of your highlights of last year like playing wise and and oh right yeah uh i feel there's a lot there's a lot of kind of like remembering stuff at the moment as well and just kind of reaching out and going hey it's all still there it's all still you know God, I told you, if you ask me to look back, even like beyond, I have a panic attack. What did you have for breakfast but, this morning? There we go. Yeah. Uh, ah, well, I mean, okay, so. What's, what's Johnny Morrow for breakfast? 
<laughs> what did uh, what? What? Yeah. What? Well, you know, I, uh, obviously, I had granola. <laughs> obviously, with coconut. Has anyone had coconut yogurt? I've had it. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? I mean, the vegan it's stuff pretty... has really improved the last few sort of five or six years. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm really it's glad. Like cardboard, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's so great that it's become trendy and 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 there's money in it. So it's great for vegans. I'm mean, obviously, you know, price has gone up, but it means that you know you've got choice. But you know what? Uh, I think because it's well, it may because it's quite um, quite recent. I'm able, you know, I've got to say, you know, playing play, doing the James Bond theme with the orchestra was kind of a highlight. That was that was pretty good last year. Yeah. I mean, the movie's obviously not come out yet, uh, and I haven't seen it for a while. Is it due out? It was due out now at the start of May, but. It's got. It's gone back to I think October. So doing that was good, and you know, doing the bonds, you know, getting to number one. I don't really. Pl- I never give to a shit genuinely about chart positions. I remember when the Smiths went to to meet his murder went straight in at number one, and that was great. I remember. Uh, I remember that, and I remember this charming man going in at number ten because that was our first hit. I don't remember any other chart positions, but obviously. I don't know what it means these days, but having a number one single was my first number one single with, with on the Bond theme. That was good last year. So the Bond thing was cool. But actually, you know, playing shows, uh, I'll probably, you know, I'll, um, well, playing with you guys was pretty great. That, that yeah. was great. Uh, that, that was kind of amazing. No, so when we did that show and it poured down with rain, was that last year? Yeah, we did. We played with you twice yeah. last year. That one up in Scott. Oh, Inverness. Was that last year? Torrential rain, and then I think it was this year, wasn't it? Last, last year, year yeah, yeah. See. And then we did um, Manchester. Yeah, alcohol. so that was great. That was really good. And yeah, and I played. That's right. So last year I did that tour. I'm terrible with time and years, man. I'm, I'm like, was it last year? And there's like no Simone. It was three years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like that. It all kind of blends into a big sort of. I mean, I know some people are like are amazing. They're able to remember ev- everything. I mean, I've got a really good memory, but not for yesterday. Yeah, long term, good, short term. Andrew's great. Andrew, Andrew can remember everything. Like we walk into a hotel and he's like, "Oh yeah, we were here in like 1996." Do you remember? <laughs> not obviously to me because I wasn't in the band then, but he he has like a real. You know, great mind for that. Kind of stuff. No, we did some. Um, you know, we, we we did some pretty pretty great shows of uh, last year. We, um, you know, we um, well, Glastonbury, I guess, was last year. Is that right? Yeah, it was last year. Wow, God, time goes by so quick. Anyway, this is going to be fascinating radio. <laughs> Should I put some tumbleweeds along the background as well? So- Welcome to my world. Seriously, though, next question: What day is it? I, I do know it's Saturday. <laughs> Are you sure? Because for a second, I thought it was Sunday. I know it's it's, it's that's that's great. I, you know, seriously. Um, that's just being a musician, though. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to do with the lockdown. Well, you'll know as a musician, right? I've like it before. That thing where uh, you don't know. There's been times, so many times in my life where I don't know what day it is and I don't know where I am, and I I think that yeah. is a such an a privilege yeah what a great great thing that is that's fantastic and uh you know and everyone's like you know everyone's been at a 
pay the rent. When you're on tour. Yeah, yeah, when you're on tour. I've had that, when that phenomenon has happened to me, I always go, wow, I'm so lucky. You know, and, and, and everyone's rent's getting paid for it. You know, it's like, oh, man, this, this, this is great. I'll really, I, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, that's my thing just to keep on doing it. You know, I don't have like, yeah. you know, any other crazy, I don't want to get any more famous. So, you know, just, just want to keep doing, just be, keep doing it. I just really want to keep, keep yeah. having a great band and, and I keep getting inspiration and, and, and writing and, and uh, recording good songs. Uh, yeah. I, I, and that's all I've ever wanted. Just once I got started on it, I was just like, let me just keep, let me just carry on and everything else. I just kind of wing it. Wearing good shirts as well. Very. You got that down. Got some good shirt action. Going very, on. very important. Yeah. Very yeah, yeah, sure, man, sure. It's uh, people who say that they don't. Everything's even people who who profess to have no image. It's that's in itself is a contrivance. That, that's, yeah, that's non-image, image. You know, that's probably worse, isn't it? Trying to look like you're not trying is no, kind of double the effort. It's uh, no, it's really. definitely uh it's definitely a thing. Um, yeah. Are you staying? Because I know you're well into fitness and running, and are you still doing your running every day? Yeah, not so much every day, but uh, yeah, I am. I am doing. Yeah, I am. But uh, mm. you know, I, I, I could do it up in it a little bit. I'm. I'm being lazy. I'm being kind of lazy. I think it's the time to be kind to ourselves about sounding like, you know, bohemian if you want to say that, or hippieish. I think it is a time to just. There's the sense of that we can't control how we spend our time right now. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And, and normally we we can control our time and we can control what we do at a certain time of day. And, and not only is the financial stability gone and, and all of that and all of our social circles are, are kind of not present, but they are, but not 3D. There's this thing of time where it's sort of the idea of time is well, almost... Well, that's- well, what you just said comes back again to the the other thing that uh, I was I was investigating or reading about the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius that the the one thing was that thing of absence. Okay, like not taking things for granted and imagining um, things that you take for granted being gone uh, that is, uh, that the world has been forced to to do. Uh, but then the other the other thing was exactly what you just said that thing of things being. It, Either in our control or out of our control, and and uh, it's it's kind of a, I think it's a good it's a good lesson as a human to, uh, to accept the things that are out of our control. Really, it's a big reminder. Isn't it's it? a tough thing, especially with things like mortality in, in the question. You know that you can't. No, control. I think it's I think it's you know it's been an enforced kind of. Again, it comes back to being philosophical, but it's an, an enforced kind of a human, uh, yeah, philosophical and psychological position we've been put in where, you know, th- these things that are out of our control, um, I hope will teach, I'm speaking personally, will just sort of teach me some things really. Um, because especially, as, you know, we live in a world where we try and control everything. You know, if we could, we can, you know, the, the weather's the only thing we we haven't you know, endeavoured to control, you know, uh, trying to, uh, and, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, uh, there's a conversation about um, how the ecology seems to be sort of healing itself without. Oh, yeah. I mean, crime has gone down, pollution has gone down, the, 
the world now it isn't <clears throat> so much at the hands of humans yeah. sort of mission yes yeah. changing you know which is i mean understandable of course it would but it's um yeah well, I, I think i i i'm kind of you know again you know very very lucky to have the lives we've got but um the uh I, I kind of like, I, I like uh, that there are some things that, you know, accepting that are things that are out of our control, you know. Yeah, it's definitely a lot. It's given us a lot to think about. I mean, do you have a message for, well, message one, like for your fans? Yeah. Because there are a few of them out there. And uh, a message for musicians at this time as well. Who are sort of struggling to kind of think, oh my god. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it's going to sound, people have to excuse me, it's going to sound very corny, but I think, no, well, I think for musicians, I include my, myself in this, and music fans, but say for musicians, okay, because it is a worrying time for, for, for professional musicians, I think it's that thing of like, it, it things that are out of our control, you, you just can't do anything about it. But, at the same time, remembering really why why you love music in the first place, really what it does that uh, you, that uh, the other things just don't do. The messages it sends out to you to you know to to get up or to relax or to be introspective, or just the things that you get from music that you just you don't get from other things, and and really you know, maybe just play go back and play stuff that really that you really love, you know, that's, you know, you know, that you really used to love and, and remember, remember why, remember what it is that it does, because you can't really take that away. Nothing, whether you, whether you, you know, God forbid you were unable to play for whatever reason. And like a reason like now, for example, um, it still, it still doesn't change your relationship to what, what a song actually is. And so for some people that might, some people that might, might be a lyric, might be an uplifting lyric or an intriguing lyric or a lyric that reflects their life or it might be a bass line or it might be a drum beat or a synth line or whatever it, or you know a, some sort of break beat or whatever it is you know um you just can't, that can't really be taken away from you really because music's there for you know really is is there in the most dire of times as well isn't it so i think you know you've got on it really in a way i'd honor what music really is you know uh and you know if it's your job then don't let the fact that it's your job get in the way of remembering why you were in, it in the first, what, what music really is. I'd, I'd sort of like to try and remind myself of that, I think. And then with fans, you know, I, I think with fans as well, it's just this idea of just trying to like stay inspired and what, you know, you don't have to be an artist to really enjoy art. Oh God, yeah, of course. No. Well, there has to be a receiver. Yeah. And, and, and someone, you know, uh, there has to be a, a talker or, or an artist or whatever you want to say someone in that position and there has to be someone on the other end receiving it so and, and neither is better than the other they're both on the equal yeah just say you know just being into your own aesthetic you know like yeah if you if, if you buy a pair of art or whatever talking nonsense but you know just the, well this <laughs> that thing of like you know if you're going to buy a pair of trainers look at five five pairs and just really enjoy the choice you made just anyone can be an aesthetic that's the thing that why my yeah. I got in clothes when I was younger, me and my sister and stuff. It wasn't about vanity really. It was about sort of uh, just really, just really liking what 
a certain, you know, a certain jacket was. It just, you know, we're trendy, fashionable little kids in the 1970s on a council estate. But a bit, you know, I've been asked about why, you know, why I got into all of that, and and it was really about, you know, sort of uh, expressing yourself really, and um, and it's so, you know, you know, if you're gonna, you know, the choices that you make express who you are really. If you're lucky enough to be able to to buy a decent jacket or or a pair of jeans or whatever. And just to sort of enjoy just in what freedoms we do have is. Yeah. And there is freedom yeah. in that. And, and, and yeah, you can't take that for granted that you can, you can have that freedom just in the little ways that. Yeah. Know, sort of pay attention to the freedoms we do have and, and enjoy it. So like, you know, don't be so guilty about buying that, re- about buying that, that, that jacket. Buy two of them. I did buy a jacket and now I don't feel bad. <laughs> have you bought any, have you kind of bought anything crazy off the internet yet? Because it is a time when you're sort of looking at stuff, going, "Yeah, do I need a mushroom growing growing kit, or do I need a well, <laughs> something weird well, I'm like so that?" Predictable. You know? I mean, anyone who's taken any interest in anything I've said at all will just be not honestly not surprised. I, I'm I'm just all about what you think I'm about, really. I buy, I bought, yeah, I bought loads of books, but honestly, loads of books and. Uh, uh, and and I bought a compressor for my studio, and I bought and I bought great headphones. What you think I would buy is what I've done. I, I, you know, a couple of guitar pedals. Exactly what you think I would get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can never have too many pedals because you can just you know use them, sell them up. Yeah. It's all good. It's like an interchange. Yeah. Thing. Um, I'm gonna. I will. I will let you go because I know you've got to get with your day. But just sort of. To kind of finish, let's just say this is all over. Uh, I mean, there's no more pandemic and, and um, people can go back to work and, and earn money finally. And uh, you're putting on a live show to celebrate this, right? And you can have five acts. One of them can be you. I would imagine you'd want yeah, to play. Yeah, I would want sure. to play, yeah. You'd be missing playing, right? So who who are the other four that you want to put on this, the bill? Oh, for? right. Okay, yeah. It would be handy if they were still alive, probably, wouldn't it? Probably. Let's do people that are still alive because yeah. it might happen. You never yeah, who would I like to see? Right. Oh, okay. And it's in a celebratory kind of function. Uh, I'd like to see. Okay. Um, I'd like to see probably craft work. I think because because oh, I was thinking yeah. I was going to play with those guys anyway. Uh, uh-huh. You know. That I was looking forward to that, so I'd like I'd like for that to get rescheduled. So yeah, craft work. I think um, I'd like I'd like for Hands in the Orchestra to to do his his electronic wow. set, because that's pretty mm-hmm. pretty powerful and kind of life affirming. Uh, I'd like to. Do you know what I played with Supergrass recently? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I saw you and Gaz King. Man, that was so good. Yeah, I I think he's brilliant. Yeah, I love his solo stuff as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so talented. So yeah, so I'd 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 have to reform Supergrass on there because honestly, you know, you're watching it and you're like, oh yeah, great, okay, yeah, you know, they. Mm. I love this song. And then they go into another song, and then they go into another song. Just like yeah, how many great tracks they've got? Yeah. This is killer, and um, so I'd like that. And also, I think 
let me see. Uh, so, right, put me on the spot here. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm gonna brother. just think. So yeah, Kraftwerk. So we've got Kraftwerk, Hand, hand Supergrass, and, and then we've got one more, and plus you as well. I'd put. Uh, yeah, I'd put Fontaines on. Yeah. I put Fontaines on. I'd go and yeah. see that. The, For sure. Really good words. Yeah. You know, re really, really good. Yeah. So, because um, everyone else I'd pick, I'm just thinking it'd be like, oh, Miles Davis, John Colt, they're all dead. They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a waste of time. It's kind of, yeah, it ain't going to happen. I hate to break it to you. It's kind of a given that you'd want the greats. But, um, yeah, can you imagine Miles Davis and Fontaine DC on the same bill? <laughs> yeah. And, and like, all right, so who would you pick then? Oh, God, you're flipping yeah. around. Shit. Um, well, let's have you. Let's have you. Because I, I, you can be in the place like if I was. Like, well, I you kind of cheat. What, what you've done there, you've you've actually that's very you're very clever. You've you've actually managed to sort of uh, cheat and get around it at the same time by picking me. <laughs> you're good, Simone. Oh, you're good. <laughs> so there's two. Um, um, God, chic would be great. Oh right. Okay. Sheik. Yeah. Then yeah. What yeah. happens when you get chic? You get you know, they'll get Shaka Khan to come on and do a thing, or, you know, there'll be like a, a, an all-star version of Sheik. Right, so you've cheated again. Okay, very I good. Again. <laughs> I'm a hustler, man. I'm a hustler. Yeah, I'm a I know. Um, who else? Let me think. Oh, I'd like to see the Cure because they're so brilliant. Like, Yeah, right. You know. Okay. Um, and... What, what about wire? Oh yeah, wire would be good. Wire are pretty good. They're still they're still doing good things. I'd have wire. I'd I'd have like a um <laughs> wire and then like special guests life so they could come on and do it. <laughs> I'm really bent. I'm really pushing my luck now. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, yeah, have some, yeah I'd throw yeah. some DJs in there. A couple of DJs in there for good measure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I've, and maybe some dancing elephants and stuff yeah. like that. Okay, that's good. I like it. I like it. That reminds me of a live show that I saw when we went to Benidorm. We saw this act called Sticky Vicky, and it's burnt into my memory forever. Now. Yeah, I know. You, you know what? You told me, and it's it's already burnt into my memory. <laughs> I wasn't even there. <laughs> Sorry to take you there. I don't know why it came up. I suddenly had this image in my head of like this. I think you're obsessed by Sticky Vicky. No, I'm really not. It's just the trauma that keeps kind of repeating itself in my mind. It's like a subconscious sort of thing that I feel like I need therapy for. Oh, I'll tell you, it was a good show that everybody, I didn't see it, but uh, everyone who said, saw it said it was the greatest show they've ever seen. It was like David Byrne's show. Oh my God, I saw it. Do you know what? Oh. I went on my own because tickets were quite expensive. They were like a hundred quid and, and I don't think anyone wanted to really pay that at, at that time that I was asking around. So I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go on my own. And I don't mind going to gigs on my own. I quite like going to gigs on my own. Not because I'm an antisocial bastard. I just think I can just go and you know, yeah. not have to hang around. Um, and um, because it was a one single seat, I was like four or five rows from the front. 
right in the middle, like the absolute sweet spot. Amazing. And how right. good it sound? It's at the O2, but then I remembered I'd seen it came from the Bad Seeds at the O2, and they made it sound like the most like the Royal Festival Hall, right? It was so intimate, it was unbelievable. So I'm like, okay, I have faith that this will sound good, and it was fucking unbelievable. It was one of the most inspiring shows. Um, just the way he deconstructs the bands, where you've got every part of the drum kit split off. Yeah, person, yeah. Like, that element, that component, and then they've got like, I mean, it sounds a bit twee, but like the dance routines, the way he uses light, the way he uses movement, the way his songs match the theatrical vibe of it all. I mean, my God, and it just felt effortless. Right. Well, I, okay. Well, I've just I've just bumped Kraftwerk off my bill now. And put David Byrne on there. <laughs> Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, sorry, guys. Field, I'm sure you can have Kraftwerk. Yeah, it's fine. Like, in it's the fine. way that that's quite... Um, Kraftwerk can do a DJ set, it's fine. They can do the DJ set. In the way that Kraftwerk are very linear and kind of still, the yeah. David Byrne thing was just like out of this world. And his voice is... Oh, my God, his voice sounds better than ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. yeah. yeah really great. transformative stuff. I'm sure maybe he'll do it again. There is probably going to be a DVD or if there isn't already... Yeah, yeah, I, I missed it. I was gutted. I missed it, but yeah. uh, well, next time I go and see him, I'll see if you're about. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll come and gate crash your, uh, your one woman party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd yeah, be good. Man. Well, thanks again, Simone. Lots of love, Diane. Thanks, Johnny. Absolute pleasure. I'll speak Bye. to you soon. Lots of love. Bye.